Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the Manchester Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm today's host, George Smith, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by two of our United writers this Monday lunchtime, Rich Bay and Tyrone Marshall. How are we doing, chaps? Good, thank you very much, George. Nice to have you in the hot seat as well. Looking forward to being the guest on this one. Yes, very good. Thank you, George. Yeah, very good. Very good. Looking forward Brilliant. to hearing Rich's, Rich's views for a change rather than him in the, uh, in the hosting seat. I know, it's been a while since I was on one of these, actually. But, of course, there's only one place to start, isn't there? Saturday's 1-1 draw with Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Casemiro rescuing a point for United very late on, heading home in stoppage time. Cancelling out that Jorginho penalty that looked as though it was going to seal the points for Chelsea. And to be fair, had you know Casemiro not produced a, an amazing leap to get that goal, it would have been a travesty had United not taken anything from it. Truth be told, they were the better side, I thought, for long spells, especially in the first half. And they should have been in front of the break. Anthony squirting probably the, the best chance of the half. But, you know, as we've seen recently in, you know, in the game with Omonia at Old Trafford, Everton away, United have fought right until the end and they've, they've refused to throw the towel in. Ty, coming to you first, what did you make to the game on Saturday overall? For me, I thought it was a another step in the right direction of this gradual process that Eric Ten Hag's looking to take United on. Yeah, definitely. It, it was a step forward. And like I say, a point was was certainly a just result for United in the end. It was the least they deserved. Um, it, it was another step forward, really, from, from Wednesday. It was tougher opposition, although you know Tottenham were poor and I thought Chelsea weren't particularly great. Um, but, you know, United were very good, especially first half, controlled the game first half. They've looked in these two games like a top six side. They've played like a top six side, They've taken the game to other big teams. And, and that in itself is a is a major step forward. It was an interesting game, I thought, tactically. The first 35 minutes, United were totally dominant. Ten Hag got it right again, really. And there was an interesting comparison, I think, to was it the second time he faced Graham Potter in the first game of the season. Tanag was the one having to make tactical substitutions fairly early on to combat what Potter was doing. And here we are two and a half months later, and it's roles reversed, really. In a way, that shows how quickly Ten Hag has adapted to the Premier League. The, the biggest issue for United, again, was not taking their chances, especially in the first 35 minutes. There was another towards the end of the first half when Anthony should have scored, should have hit the target. But it was on his, his standing foot, basically, and, and it, it just squirmed away. And... Potter's substitution, to be fair, did change the flow of the game. Chelsea were better after that. Chelsea were the dominant team second half, I thought, especially after Varane had gone off for United. That seemed to hit them quite hard. And they just didn't have anything from the bench to change the game. Chelsea could make decent subs that, that altered the flow of the game, that gave them more of a threat. United didn't have that. They had to turn to Alanga and Scott McTominay towards the end. And they just they didn't have that game-changing substitution. It, it looked at nil-nil like their chance to win the game had gone and that they were clinging on for a point, then they concede the penalty. It, it was absolutely a penalty, can be no complaints about it. Um, but they did, you know, they did deserve the point. They they sort of roused themselves for a final rally and a fantastic header and definitely a justifiable point. Another decent performance, not as good as Wednesday, but tougher opposition and away from home. But I think it was, on what's been a decent week for Ten Hag, I think it was another step forward, especially first half in terms of the way they controlled the game and the way the midfield played for me as well. I thought the midfield has been a major success this week. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of the midfield, it leads quite nicely into the next point I was going to raise. And obviously that was the only change Eric Ten Hag made on Saturday that came midfield. Christian Eriksen back in for Fred, which to be fair, seemed quite harsh after the way he played in that game against Spurs last Wednesday night. But it was clear that Ten Hag wanted, you know, the more control in the midfield rather than the robust of the pace and the thrush that Fred can offer. 
Rich, what did you make to the decision to, to drop Fred so quickly after such a brilliant performance? You think it was harsh, but at the same time, one of those that you could kind of understand and make sense of? Yeah, I thought it was very harsh. And I do feel that as a as a manager, maybe you need to reward players who have just played well. And Fred was excellent against Tottenham. He you know, was, was the candidate for man of the match, really, and, and was basically faultless with that performance. But I guess that is the decision to hard to pay to made, isn't it? He, he isn't there to to sort of worry about squad harmony too much if he thinks it's a ruthless call that needs to be made for his approach to the next match. And that's that's what needs to happen. And like Ty said there, if they take an early chance and get a, an early lead, then it's, it's thoroughly vindicated as well because I thought Ericsson was was good. He was impressive. And again, it was four of his summer signings started that game. So it's it's clear to see that you know Ten Hag has this vision, this mould of the players he wanted to bring in the summer. Some of them had bigger roles than we expected them to, but he knows how he wants his team to play. And the truth is that even though they were so energising and enterprising against Tottenham last week, he still maybe felt they should have had a bit more control on the game. It was great that they were winning the ball back and doing it so quickly, but he didn't want them to lose the ball in the first place. That's why Ericsson came in. And the dilemma really going forward is that you could say Ericsson should start ahead of Sancho and then play either Fernandez or, or Ericsson on the left. And that way you get the best players on the pitch and, and the ones who perform the best at the moment. But again, as Ty said there, you're then depriving yourself of someone who can change the game. And again, the, the question that will be raised of this is Fred's done great off the bench this time. So does he stay as an impact sub and someone who can freshen it up and bring that tenacity when you need it in, in the later stages of a match? Or is he someone who should start? And I guess the good problem to have is there is a bit of a, a dilemma there now. Rather than having this three-man midfield that, that seems certain, and it's only a few weeks ago that you would have said Ericsson, Fernandez, Casemiro every single game, there is now argument to say maybe Fred should be in there. And you have to pick and choose when to use him. I think the problem with Fred in the past has been he's been sort of overexposed. They've been relying on him too much and, and using him far beyond the role he, he's there for. But as a sort of squad player who can come in and almost like Parkji Sung or Nicky Burt or Darren Fletcher in the years gone by, someone who just supplements your options, I think he's a great asset to have. But United in the past have made the mistake of they get a sort of a a fringe player in, he plays really well and then they keep at it and they don't take him out of the firing line and that's when the performances dip. So I think Ten Hag's managing him really well, to be honest. I think he he obviously sees the players every day and it was a brave call, but for me, it was one that paid off and obviously he made the, the substitution early in the second half, but I don't think it was necessarily the wrong decision to, to drop Fred, but obviously he came on and influenced the game still. Yeah, he certainly played his part and it seems like him and Eriksen, you know, could potentially be jockeying for that position in that midfield three over the coming weeks. But I think Ty, obviously, one man who has nailed his place in that team now is Casemiro. I think, you know, in the last couple of games, Tottenham, Chelsea, we've seen just why he was brought in to do what do what he does best. And he, he was excellent on Saturday, wasn't he? Prior to his goal, which we know was brilliant in itself, but his performance all round. I've seen a couple of pieces from you in the last couple of days singing the praise of him. It, it was a, you know, it was a statement Casemiro performance at Stamford Bridge, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. The, the transformation in the game has been fantastic, really. His first his first couple of cameos in the Premier League were OK. And then he had that start against Real Sociedad. Um, I think it was when he was he was pretty poor, really. And he looked he looked quite sluggish, looked off the pace. I think at that point there was concerns really about whether he was going to fit into United. I think that. The most common name being associated with him at that point was Bastian Schweinsteiger and the idea that United had basically been sold another dud by one of their elite rivals who'd, who'd seen them come in. And I'm sure Real Madrid have got no regrets given the 
how well they're doing and and the players they've got in to replace him essentially. But for United, it's you know it's a deal that's going to cost them an awful lot of money and there's going to be no money recouped really. But he just looks exactly what they need. Um, Reece, since he's got in the team, he has been so so impressive, getting better with every game. One of the biggest surprises for me is the the quality of his passing and his forward passing. And it has felt these last two games against Tottenham and Chelsea that the midfield has got more ambitious and adventurous because of his role. It's felt like it's kind of morphed from a 4-2-3-1 to more of a 4-3-3. I think it was clear against Tottenham that Fred was much more advanced than he had been a few days earlier. I think that's because of, of Casemiro there and, and the fact he's settled into that holding role now. Um, even against Tottenham, it felt like Ericsson and Fernandez were getting further forward. And, you know, Casemiro is so good at, at breaking up attacks, at stopping attacks, at playing that defensive midfield role. But when he gets the ball, his quality of passing forward is fantastic. There's barely a sideways or backwards pass. So often he's, he's breaking lines, passing it to Ericsson or Fernandez. He's finding a fullback in a dangerous area. And that is that is something that I think has, has certainly surprised me about his game that you didn't really realise he, he had. You kind of viewed him as this elite destroyer, this world-class defensive midfielder. But his ability to, to get United on the front foot as well is, is huge. And I think he's been a big part of these two success stories. And he does feel, he feels like the kind of player they've been missing for several years now. And it is, you know, it is interesting, the idea that, you know, I think there was, there was contact with Casemiro all summer, but it's pretty clear that Ten Hag wanted De Jong. They feel like different players. But I don't, I don't think there's any scenario now where if you ask Ten Hag, would he have De Jong instead of Casemiro? I don't think there's any scenario where he, he necessarily would, because Casemiro has just been so good um, that, you feel like he's 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 the better option. De Jong is is a great passer, but I don't know if he gives United the same sort of security in midfield that they're getting through Casemiro. And I think the view is even close to the dressing room. I think the view is that they've maybe getting lucky is stretching it, but the fact that De Jong didn't want to come and, and left them going for Casemiro has, has worked out well for them because he's definitely an upgrade on what they have there, and he does feel like the player that's better suited to this team and to this league than De Jong was and he, he has been excellent and he looks it's hard to see him not being in the team now certainly for, for Premier League games there, there might be a change to come down the road in Europa League but I wouldn't be surprised if it was a strong team again this week I think I think Tenag is pretty keen to try and get that group one and, and claw back Real Sociedad and not play those two games in February I think that's seen as a pretty big thing now and I think the idea of rotating for the Europa League has, has probably gone out the window a little bit so might be that he starts again, but he has been, he, he's been growing in stature the last few weeks and his two performances this week, I think, have been superb. Yeah, he certainly has. He's come on in leaps and bounds quite quickly, but what you'd expect, I suppose, of a player that's got so much, you know, of a good track record behind him. But Rich, Ty's picked up on it there about his, his passing ability and it's not something that we necessarily associated with him. Do you think United, considering now they've got an easier crop of fixtures coming up, they've got Fulham, Aston Villa on the horizon sort of thing, you know, we're going to see more of that rather than being having to be that destroyer against the lesser teams. It's almost as though United have found, a, you know, kind of an alternative unexpected attacker in Casemiro that could, you know, break the lines as he did against Everton with that pass for Ronaldo's goal. As Ty said there, they, they have stumbled across the solution they wanted all along with Casemiro. Like I said, it wasn't the number one target, but he's ticked every box and, and gone beyond that as well. And I wrote at the weekend that, you know, these coming games now are the real sort of acid test for Ten Hag because after his poor start to life, it feels like a lot of these big results he's had have been sort of defying the odds. Okay, beating Tottenham at home isn't such maybe 
defying the odds, but they were third. They looked good at the time. Obviously, they subsequently lost to Newcastle and the result maybe looks less impressive, but still an impressive result. Chelsea as well, as well it felt like a point gained by full-time in the manner that they, they got the equaliser. Arsenal was defying the odds against a team who had started well in the season. The Liverpool game, both teams were in crisis at the time, weren't they? And it felt like United had, had, had a point to prove that day. But in the games where we've expected United to win and, and win well, like they haven't done so far. Ammonia games have both been very tight. We've seen, you know, in the Europa League campaign as a whole, United haven't been convincing. You look at Southampton away, Leicester away, both 1-0 wins, gritty wins and, and matches that showed their sort of determination and team spirit. But they weren't wins in which you'd say United were complete and, and deserved to maybe to, to win comprehensively. The Everton game was a good performance and a much more convincing display. But again, it was only 2-1 and they still nearly conceded at the end. It, it, the manner of the, of the way the game ended didn't feel like United had had this total 90-minute performance. Whereas now, these games coming up, as you said, they will be expected to win and not just win by one goal or two goals, but you know get some comprehensive score lines there and, and just look at total control of the match. So customer has got to be crucial to that, but it's going to be really fascinating to see how United do start to deal that tag of, of being expected to win these games. Because like I said, Ten Hag came here as a bit of an enigma. He had a lot to prove himself. He's proven them now. He's getting a lot of plaudits. United are getting a lot of plaudits, but... Don't get too carried away just yet because, you know, it's only a week or so ago that we had that Ammonia game and we had the Newcastle draw as well. And United have gone from being, again, a team that looked like they were going around in circles to one who were saying, you know, get a striker in there. They could be top four guaranteed. They could be third place. You know, just take it one step at a time. There's going to be blips. There's going to be a few disappointing results in the weeks ahead because this is United. Don't get too carried away yet. But these are the games coming up now we expect United to win. Uh, just a point of order, they've only played three teams who are in the bottom half of the table at the moment. You know, there's United have had a real tough start and they've come through it well, but it counts for nothing. Just as Liverpool's win against City was great, but then lost to Forest, it didn't, didn't really count for anything anymore. United have beaten Spurs, they've drawn with Chelsea, but if you drop points against what Villa, Fulham and West Ham, then it almost counts for nothing. So this is the real test now for United. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you look at the league table now, don't you? The five teams will be United after Newcastle won at Spurs on, on Sunday. They've, you know, they've only lost one of those five games against the teams above them. So they have done well against the top teams, but now they've obviously got the challenges you've outlined there, Ridge. Um, but Ty, obviously, for all the positives, the biggest blow on Saturday was the loss of Rafael Varane. Obviously, United haven't confirmed the extent of the injury yet. I would imagine Eric Ten Hag will address it in his press conference pre-Sheriff later this week. But the prognosis, you know, from his reaction didn't look good. And it looks like he's set for a spell on the sidelines. Seems like he's going to miss the World Cup as well. Is that perhaps the worst injury blow United could have wished for out of the whole squad, do you think, with how important he's been this season so far? Uh, quite possibly, yeah, yeah. And it, it does leave them short as well. I mean, they've only got two fit centre-backs now, really, um, with Maguire still being out. So I think he, he might be heading back towards the squad soon. Um, it, it was a, a pretty cruel blow, Um I mean, it looked at the time like it was a real bad one from a, from um, Varane's reaction. You know, I think we all saw his, his shirt over his eyes and he was clearly struggling. I mean, he did walk pretty much halfway around the perimeter of the pitch back to the tunnel. So, it, it you know, it's, it's hard to know quite how serious it was because he could walk. Obviously, there's a month until the World Cup, pretty much. Um, so, it's difficult to know quite how, how bad it was. But it was dreadfully timed and his injury 
you know, his injury record is a concern, but sometimes it, it's just misfortune as well. And it, it's a shame because I thought I thought I thought he was absolutely brilliant, to be honest, on, on Saturday for the, the period he was on the pitch. He defended fantastically, he was aggressive. There was a, an interception from across to stop a Bamiyang having a tap in fairly early on. It was brilliant. And the other noticeable thing, and it, it, this in a way speaks to how United have, have changed, because you could say this, as I did about Casemiro before, we know Martinez is good at it. The quality of Varane's passing and carrying the ball out on Saturday I thought was superb. Um, there was one incident fairly on, where he just sort of ran away from a Bamiyang, I think it was, and then played a cool pass to Dallow. There was another one where he, he carried the ball into the final third, pretty much played a slide rule pass for Anthony. And he was just really good on the ball. His partnership with Martinez has been fantastic. He looked, he has started to look like the defender United thought they were getting last summer. You know, they thought they'd signed a world-class defender. We didn't see enough of it last year. He's looked like that this season, but then he's got another injury now. I think it's pretty clear he's going to miss some games at least. I think it's, it's. I think this will be the seventh, the seventh or eighth separate injury or illness or reason for him missing games since he signed just over a year ago, which is, you know, he's, he's not great. Ten Hag, they had to devise an, an individual programme for him basically in the summer to get him through pre-season to build up his fitness. And now this has happened. So I'm sure some of his reaction on Saturday was just sheer frustration that it does keep happening to him. You know, he's not he's not old by any means. He's, he's in his prime, arguably, as a centre-back. But once you start to get a reputation for being injury-prone, it can kind of stick to you. And then I'm sure there's frustration when it goes and, and happens again. So it is, you know, it is a major blow for United because he's been fantastic recently as, as a lot of players have happened. The, you know, Lindelof is, has had a lot of stick at times over the years from, from United fans. I think he's a, I think he's an excellent squad player over 200 games now. He, they've signed, I think it's on four centre-backs, three or four centre-backs since he, since he signed and he's still always there or thereabouts. He's always available, really. He's always pretty reliable. Um, so I think as as fourth choice centre backs go, arguably the best in the Premier League, really. But he's clearly not in Varane's um, league, and it, it does leave United a bit short in that area. So it is it's problematic for United, and it's it's just particularly cruel for Varane, who who had finally hit top gear for the club, and, and now faces a, an obvious spell on the sidelines again. Yeah, it is a real shame. And I was actually crunching the numbers this morning. United have actually only conceded four goals when he's been yeah. on the pitch so far this season. Because obviously, they'd only conceded two at City, I think, by the time he went off or he was off the pitch for one of the first three. It was something in that order. So, you know, he's been integral to what Eric Ten Hag's done so far this season. And Rich, I suppose it now leaves a question mark is, can Lissandro Martinez continue in the same vein without him by his side? Because, you know, Lissandro Martinez, there was first couple of games when he was alongside Harry Maguire at the start of the season, you know, people doubted him. He didn't look brilliant, it should be said. But to be fair, you know, any player needs time to adapt. But alongside Varane, he's come on in leaps and bounds very, very quickly. So I suppose the challenge for him now is can he prove himself without Varane, the, you know, the leader, what Eric Tenard called him in the defence, by his side. It's going to be a big challenge for him. It is going to be a big chance for him. And again, it does feel like Martinez has had a lot of the, the praise and been rightfully, you know, lauded for, for what he's done. He has been a breath of fresh air. Fans love his approach, his tenacity, his aggressiveness and, and the clear passion he has to the way he plays. But it is crucial to remember that is part of a partnership. And he's got a lot better since he's had Varane by his side. They're starting to understand each other's game much better. You can see now in matches, they... They're communicating more, they're moving up together, they're leaving less space behind them. And, you know, United are often caught out 
um, by sort of poor back lines where they're playing players on, but there seems to be a, a real sort of tightness between those two and they do complement each other so well. So it is going to be a real blow for, for Ten Hag to not have that partnership available. But like you said, this has to be seen uh, not as a positive, but it has to be seen as a new opportunity now. You've got Maguire back fit soon. I think he was back in training to some degree last week. You know, like Ty said, maybe don't rush him back. You need to ease him back himself. But you've got Lindelof and Maguire battling to prove that they should be third choice. You know, and they'll want to relish the role now, likely up until the World Cup. Martinez himself wants to prove that he isn't just good because he's got Varane by the side of him and he wants to continue this upward trajectory as well. So, yeah, it's it's been great to see Martinez and it's been great to see just how well he's fit into this side. Again, proving a lot of people wrong. It was after that Brentford game that he was sort of wrongly scapegoated for his height and his stature, although none of the goals were actually his fault. He was taken off in that game, of course. And since then, he's responded so well. But it does come as part of a partnership. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how United respond to it. And of course, with the the nature of the fixture schedule, you've got two games a week. So when Maguire and Lindelof are fit, you, you might even have to rotate between them because that's what's been happening so far this season already. It's going to be really interesting. But Lissandro Martinez, you can't see him, uh, unless he gets ill or injured, you can't see him missing another game now for the foreseeable future. They don't even have the options to do so. So he is going to be a huge part of United for the for the next few games and their form up until the World Cup could well depend on just how well he plays. Yeah, quite possibly. And I suppose to be fair as well, you know, Rafael Varane has become that such a mainstay at the back tie. I think it's clearly had a positive impact on Diogo Dallo as well on the other side of him, who's, you know, produced some really good performances recently. He could also, you know, be impacted by the loss of Varane, couldn't he? Yeah, quite possibly, actually. he They have formed a pretty good partnership, I'm sure. Dello benefits from from having a centre back like that um, next to him. So yeah, there's there is a possibility. I think Delo has been one of the success stories of of this season, really. Thankfully, given the the positives at, at right back. Um, obviously, one we've got no idea what's happening with Wan Bissaka. Really, I think he's injured at the moment, but no one seems to know quite what's happened or why. I mean, he was on the he was in the squad for the. Uh, so was it Sociedad? Sociedad came at home yeah, and the director's, the director's box, yeah. box and since then hasn't been in a squad. Um, Tanaga said he's injured, but you know it seems a fairly substantial injury to have picked up in a pre-match warm-up. Um, so a bit of mystery around that. And you know, I, I, you can see a scenario where he doesn't play for United again, to, to be quite frank. Um, so Dallow has had to be good. And thankfully, has been good. I think both fullbacks have had good weeks. Um, you know, I think Shaw is, is clearly the better left-back than Malassia at the moment. Dallo is the only real option at right back, but it has been playing very well. They've combined pretty well. They're doing some fairly interesting things tactically in terms of moving into midfield and often kind of playing almost inside number eight roles at times. And they've both done done pretty well. But it, it, you will, it will be interesting to see um, how Dallo gets on. That's kind of a partnership that doesn't often get talked about in terms of the partnerships that, that you discuss on field. But the, the partnership between a centre-back and a full-back can be pretty important. And I know he's not popular at United at the moment, but we saw it with Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw there. You know, their, their best two seasons at United came came at the same time, really. And they did have a really good partnership as left-sided centre-back and, and left-back. And that was something England and United benefited from, that they had a really good understanding of, of who to go when. And I remember Maguire talking on England duty about how he was sort of talking Shaw through games at times and, and telling him when to attack and to attack more and go more and be more dominant. And you know, it was quite interesting to, to listen to and it shows how important 
a centre back can be to their to their full back, and I'm sure Varane has been really important to Delo. Yeah, it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? But moving to the other end of the pitch now, obviously, the big problem United are having is scoring goals, certainly at a consistent rate. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, absent at the weekend. Really, they're only out-and-out main striker with Anthony Martial still injured and battling his own problems. Rich, where do you see the situation with Ronaldo's future moving forward? Obviously, left out because of refusing to come on against Tottenham, left the stadium before the game had even finished. In my opinion, I think Eric Ten Hag made the correct call 100% by leaving him out for the Chelsea game. Where do you see his future lying at United now? Do you think he's going to be restricted to Europa League duties until the prospect of a January move? Or do you think he'd be even fortunate just to get that with the way things have gone in the last week or so? Personally, just get rid of him. Get rid of him, he's done now. I mean, you mentioned the problem there is United are so short on strikers. And of course, what's going to hopefully emerge in the next few days will be how this is sort of the fallout of this and Ten Hag will understandably want a full apology and some reasoning and re- reconciliation from Ronaldo and him to take responsibility, apologise and to do so in front of his teammates as well and, and, and admit he was in the wrong. I mean, we said on last week's podcast, Ty mentioned it, he put that Instagram message out, but didn't say he was sorry. There was sort of mitigation trying to explain it and saying it won't happen again, but it did happen. It's happened twice now and he still hasn't apologised for it and he's undermined United, he's undermined everything they've been working towards. He's you know, this summer was massive for United because they got rid of lots of players who were maybe causing problems. And you spoke about player power in modern football. And United have what feels like now a really good cohesive group of the majority of their players buying into Ten Hag and, and enjoying what they're doing. And they can see the ideas. They can see where he wants them to get to. And you've got Ronaldo who just contradicts that and is only driven on his own goals and his own sort of benefits he's he's not thinking for the team and you know for me I think you just got to get rid obviously the the issues are United at the end of the day are still a business they don't want to take a loss on him they're paying him a huge amount of money they need to get him off their books and they need to be a team who who sees him worth the gamble as well because who in world football would want him right now he's he's not an easy sell by any means and teams who buy in January are desperate anyway I think you've got to be extremely desperate to then go for Ronaldo because the baggage you get with him, how much he'll cost. Uh, you know, after the World Cup, maybe he will have a good World Cup for Portugal and that could, you know, get, get him back on, on, the, on the radar of many teams. But it's easier said than done, I think, the, the resolution to, the, to this situation. And in the short term, I think United's interest is just to try and get it off boiling point again, to try and get him back to, to training if possible and maybe even try to get him back integrated to be a p- possible option before the World Cup. But that's easier said than done again, isn't it? And what type of example does that that set then? Because if someone's undermined the manager twice in such high-profile manner and is then welcomed back into the squad, then that undermines everything Ten Hag's done again. So it's a really interesting and difficult one. From my point of view, he's just got to go. United, uh, United play better football without him or a better team, have a clear identity without him. And for me, he just needs to go now. I just, I, the, the narrative is, well, I'm sure Ty's the same, like it's just tedious, isn't it, to have to go and go and over it at times. But obviously it is the, the headline news, but United are better off without him and he's better off without United. So I think January, there just needs to be a solution found and both can just move on. Yeah, it was always going to be the dominant topic, wasn't it, on on Sky Sports' coverage on, on Saturday of the game. And, Gary Neville, I thought, hit the nail on the head. He mirrored your thoughts, Rich, by saying that he felt United played better without him. He would get shut of him as well. Gary Neville actually said he'd do it as quickly as this week. 
Roy Keane, on the other hand, as I'm sure you've both seen, was, um, you know, carried quite a different opinion, almost in denial of what Ronaldo had done wrong against Tottenham. Didn't really see the problem with it, almost, of what he'd done. But you can almost guarantee that, say, if Harry Maguire, for example, had done that, Roy Keane would have gone off alarm in the type of character that he is. And Eric Ten Hag, as we know, has built United up on being this team that's well-disciplined. He demands the correct attitude. Ty, you know, Roy Keane's comments to me just went completely against everything that he was almost saying last season with United carrying too many bad apples within the squad. Yeah, definitely. There, I think there's been a couple of United, ex-United players who have been a bit too... Um, you know, too of too sorry for Ronaldo. Basically, too you know, ma- making too many excuses and apologies for him. Um, you know, you, you just cannot do what he did. It's as simple as that, really. Um, I'm sure there's you know there's an element here where it, it must be hugely frustrating for Ronaldo. He you know he must sense maybe that it, it, this is coming towards the end of his career. He knows he's got limited time left, and he's basically he will feel he is wasted here. And uh, I mean, he's not. From his point of view, he's not playing. He wants to play. He's got maybe 18 months left in, in Europe at the top level and he's wasting six months by by not playing and, and that's going to be infuriating for him. Uh, and I'm sure there's there's a lot going on there. The reaction you know, the reaction and refusing to go on is is very strange and you wonder why he's doing it. It would be good to hear from him about... I mean, we heard kind of the, the frustration and things like that. And we shouldn't forget, obviously, that he had a, a huge personal tragedy earlier in the year as well. And I'm sure it's been been a very difficult year for him privately and personally um, personally and publicly really in, in terms of his, his football and we shouldn't forget that but he is part of a team you've got to do what the manager wants and he's, he has disrespected Ten Hag too often and the reality is that, that Ten Hag handled it very well um, he, he had no option but to discipline him and yeah you know I think Neville is right I mean you can't get shot this week that that's ridiculous from Neville um you know that's just not going to happen really I don't know how he envisages that that ever possibly happening um the, the earliest it's going to happen is in January and, and United simply aren't going to pay Ronaldo off and why should they um but if there becomes a situation in January where where someone wants him on a free transfer I'm sure they'll be very willing to to listen to that because it, it pretty clearly isn't working. Um, I mean, everything you hear seems to be that Ten Hag does still want him as part of the squad. And it's, it, you know, that's not just bluster from United. It, it does, everything seems to point to the idea that if he'll accept the role, Ten Hag wants him and can make use of him. But you get the impression that Ronaldo doesn't want to accept the role. It still feels like there's, there's more to come here. I mean, the, the recording this on the Monday, the players have had a day off today on the Monday. So there's been no real, developments uh, and I tell I said on Friday that he wanted to sit down face to face with Ronaldo again before he was kind of reintegrated so I, I'm guessing that the earliest that's going to happen is tomorrow the, the the difficulty then is that is that reintegration I mean does Ten Hag ask him to start on Thursday does Ronaldo see that as an insult does he accept being a sub for Premier League games now and, and starting against Sheriff and, and Aston Villa in the Carabao Cup possibly not I mean you'd it doesn't feel like this is necessarily going to be a truce. This is the end of it. Ronaldo will go back to being part of the squad. You can see even before the World Cup, another another flashpoint coming. I think, you know, I said it before, the, the best case scenario for me is that he has a good World Cup, which is plausible because the World Cup isn't going to be as intense as the Premier League. He he will get opportunities. Jota's injury has probably helped him. There was talk in Portugal of him maybe losing his place there. That's not going to happen now with Jota being out. If he has a World Cup where he scores four or five goals, then there will be someone in Europe who will think he is worth a short-term risk of an 18-month deal, I think. 
and that might be a good time to to end it and it, it does feel like it, it probably needs to end in January it's hard to see how this scenario of him essentially being third choice striker can continue all the way until the end of the season yeah it certainly does seem like you know it's got the potential to blow up in our faces again and see what comes with that but you know, Rich, we, we've talked about this many times already this season, the fact that United have struggled to find somebody who scored the goals at a consistent rate. Normally, you'd, you'd back Ronaldo to do that. But see, opportunities have been few and far between for him. If he does go in January, United ideally would need to bring a replacement in. But I think at the moment, to, to find a long-term solution to that problem is going to be really difficult because I don't think there's any names that really stand out as being the the Man United need to leave that attack for, say, the next five, eight years or something like that. Obviously, Erling Haaland was the main man that everybody wanted. But now you look at it and you don't really see that there's anybody, you know, up and coming on the market. A lot of fans talking about Victor Ossiman at Napoli. If it was down to you, what would you do in January? Would you look for a kind of Odin Agallo moment of a short-term solution for the rest of the season? Or would you wait until next summer, assess the options and, and go for a striker for the big books? It's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, Ten Hag's already been told he won't have as much to spend next year as he had this year, which is understandable. He had a record backing in, in the summer window, some window of like 225 million. So there's always going to be a drop off next year. But do you buy once well in the summer and not have to buy again? Or do you buy a short term solution in January and then have to address it again at the end of the season? It, it just depends how desperate United are. And, you know, if they headed to January, with Anthony and Rashford amongst the goals again, and maybe even someone like Alanga chipping in with a few and looking a bit more lively, Sancho revitalised, then they might say, you know, we've, we've got enough to get through to the end of the season now because, you know, it's not been disastrous. They have wasted a lot of chances, but it's not been disastrous as of yet. But like you said, it's, it's clear they are over-reliant on, on a couple of players in Marshall and to a degree Ronaldo, although we keep on saying they're over-reliant on Ronaldo, but he doesn't score goals at the moment. So I'm not really sure they are over-reliant on him at all. But yeah, it's difficult for me because like we said, in January, only the desperate teams are really in the market for players, certainly high-profile transfers anyway. Of course, some big teams will look to to get someone who's a bit of a low-risk long-term option, but very few big transfers are, are taking place. And when they are, it's usually out of desperation. So United would... Firstly, they have to pay over the odds for a player, which I can't really see happening because, like we said, the budget's going to be much smaller next next season than it was this summer, which means, you know, you won't be spending all of it on a striker in January and then going into the summer with, with less to play with. And the other problem, like you said, there's who's available. You even look at Victor Ogimen. Why would he want to join United right now? He's top of the league with Napoli. They're one of the best teams in the Champions League so far. They look absolutely brilliant. And why would he want to leave that to, to come to United at this stage in time? Obviously, it's a, United are a bigger club, but I don't, don't see why he would. And then, you know, the other players just don't stand out as much. I mean, maybe it is someone in the shape of Agallo or Cavani again. I mean, it sounds ridiculous but I'm not saying Marko Arnautovic, but maybe someone of that calibre again that Ten Hag wanted in the summer. But Arnautovic has scored goals for Bologna. I know that's not the reason United didn't go to him. There's the fan protest rightfully and you know United vetoed that deal. and It didn't happen. But Ten Hag does now have a lot of credit in the bank with his summer transfers. And we might laugh at Arnautovic, but lots of people are laughing at, you know, Ericsson or Martinez or Anthony. You know, these signings look good now and they've been successful. But at the time, they weren't viewed as a success. And 
they were all viewed as gambles, particularly for the money spent. But the fact that Ten Hag's summer signings have all done so well, maybe you do give a bit of license to go for someone who's a bit of a wild card. And again, I'm not saying on out of itch, but maybe there is someone in that mould that he knows from the Eredivisie who is only going to be 10 million or so. And, and maybe you can get someone short term there to the end of the season. It's easier said than done, though. You know, this isn't FIFA or Football Manager. United should have something in the pipeline now. Of course, there's the World Cup. What if an unknown striker has a good tournament? You, you should never buy off the back of it, but United might be desperate enough that they feel they should do. It, it's, it's a difficult one because, like I said, there is no standout name for me in January. And I think that they they are obviously understocked there, but I think they still do have enough to get top four what they've got at the moment. Uh, you just need to get more from your wingers. For, for the wingers to be underperforming and not getting enough goals and then to be in the position they are in now suggests that if they get the, the goals from out wide, then it can only get better. So for me, I wouldn't buy in January and I'd just go big next summer. Yeah, I think a lot of fans will, will be in that same opinion, to be fair. Obviously, you know, they've spent a lot recently. They're not going to spend as much next year, regardless, January, the summer or whatever. But Ty, just to, to finish this up, really... I suppose United, if they do decide to move Ronaldo on or can move him on in January, they've also got the option, of course, of Anthony Martial if he can stay fit. Because when we've seen him this season, he has looked very, very good and he suits the Ten Hag way. He was good in Australia in pre-season. And, you know, he's shown flashes in his couple of appearances this season. You know, with Sancho, Rashford, Anthony around him, those sort of quick flair players, Martial fits the bill for what Ten Hag would want in a striker, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And... His injuries are even more frustrating than Varane's, arguably, this year because his record is fantastic. He's Every game he's played, he has influenced it. Even Everton, when he played for half an hour, he created the goal. Um, so his his influence has been um, key, really. Been you know He's been very impressive. He's got assists as well as goals. I think he's played something like 135 minutes, maybe, and got three goals. Um, so that his... The fact that he's just unavailable at the moment is hugely frustrating because it has looked really promising for him. And the, the they could let... Really, you think about letting Ronaldo go in January. And what we've seen so far, what are you missing? That goal against Everson, the winner. Yeah, you're missing that. You got the second away in Moldova. I mean, it was a 2-0 win. It was as routine as it gets. It was fundamentally irrelevant. So you're missing... You're looking to replace one goal, basically. You know, it's not... They're not really going to miss him if they let him go and don't replace him. Yes, it's a risk if you get injuries, but hopefully by then Martial will be back fully fit. It's looking pretty unlikely he's going to go to the World Cup, I would think now. Um, and he does look like he he fits this system. So I think that'll be a major bonus for United if they can get Martial fit and keep him fit. I think that will improve their, their front line. Um, so I think that'll be something I'll certainly be aiming for after the World Cup at the very least. Yeah, it certainly gives them the scope to change things without having to dip into the market again, doesn't it? So, all eyes on that and we'll see what happens over the coming weeks and months. Hopefully, he can get back fit sooner rather than later and stay in the team. But that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Manchester Red Podcast. Make sure you stay with us on the MEM website for all the very latest United news ahead of Thursday night's Europa League clash with Sheriff at Old Trafford. Once again, thank you very much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and leave a like if you haven't already. Take care and we'll catch you next time.